1: Hello everyone, welcome back to Rotoraz Overtime and Rotoraz Radio brought to you by Blue Wire. My name is Colin Kelly, you can follow me on Twitter at Overtime Ireland and as always I'm joined by Sean Siegel, my co-host here on the show. Sean, we are into basketball season, it is in full flow. We've been talking about it over the last couple of weeks. We've been talking about Underdog and the FFPC. It is coming hot and fast at this point. We have a lot of draft content still going on. We had Matthew Freeman on earlier this week and discussed some of the prospects and how it affects some of the teams around the nfl but when we look into it at this point it kind of meshes the veterans and the rookies together rather than it being two separate points of contact for the last couple of months so uh, i i did a best ball mini draft with zachary kruger which is going to come out over the next couple of days we did a new best ball show with zachary kruger talking about the underdog tools up on the website and then you've done a draft today of uh you're in a slow draft whereas ours was a fast draft in the best ball mania tree and we're going to be discussing that today we're going to discuss some of your ffpc draft you've got going on in the best ball tournament over there we've got a lot of stuff to pack into today's show but it's it's going to be a fun one
2: it is and we spent the last couple of episodes of stealing bananas going through the first three and a half four rounds of the rotoviz triflex rookie drafts over at the ffpc and all of the trades that we made there, all of the selections that we made, uh, moving in and out of the draft. And we have some articles up on the site looking at rookie trade strategy within this concept of perpetual reloading and the permanent championship window. That was a lot of fun doing that with Ben. I've also, been having a great time drafting with Blair Andrews and Monty Fawn. Curtis and I have a draft in the regular Superflex format so if you don't want to play quite as deep a league as the Triflex is or you just prefer for running backs to have a little bit more impact the FFPC also still has their regular Dynasty Superflex format and that one's a lot of fun too Colin today as you mentioned we're going to get into some best ball and I've been having a lot of fun with this, drafting with two of my favorite people. As you mentioned, you've got some shows coming out with Zachary. Those are going to be absolutely awesome. I have a chance to be drafting with him in the FFPC Best Ball Tournament. So Zach and I are taking a shot. We want to make at least one step further. Our ride on our team ended in the first round of the playoffs. I believe we finished fourth in the first round so obviously the top two teams advance and we just missed we've got a fun team going there i'm simultaneously drafting with connor in best ball mania three and one of the things that i think will be fun on this show is to contrast some of the things we're looking to do in the two contests but also contrast what you might do or how you might approach your draft from different draft slots and when we've talked about this a little bit over the last several years of how you can really execute a variety of strategies. You don't have to go purely anchor running back. You don't have to go purely zero running back. There are some different environments in which either will probably work, right? And one of the things you want to do is you want to be, you want to have a strategy and a construction that you know works. But you also want to have the flexibility within your draft to take advantage of the construction that's going to work best for the players who are going to be available there. So, you know, you do hear people talk from time to time about, you know, zero bad players as a strategy. And I love that, right? I mean, I, I think that so much of what we're doing with zero running back is actually zero bad players. And so, you know, I have a lot of enthusiasm for that approach. But you can also look at it from the perspective of these star running backs if you're getting them at the top couple of spots and one of the things that's been very odd about the last five years of fantasy is just how ridiculously high and flukily high the injury rate has been for the very best guys and we were probably looking at fantasy quite a bit differently still if the guys drafted out of the 101 and the 102 had stayed healthier very fact that the 101 and the 102 are considered to be the best guys again would indicate that you know we're expecting the most points from those slots. We're not expecting necessarily those guys to come out and get hurt again and for the top win rates to come from you know four, five, six as they have been. You get those top running backs, and then you have this interesting question in rounds two and three. And Colin, this is one of the areas where I think what's happening right now is very interesting because in the FFPC, you have a two-two-two format which allows you to play up to the four running backs if it works out that way obviously you can play up to the four wide receivers in underdog you have a 2 two three one format which obviously is going to be more favorable for wide receivers you need to have more of them at the same time it's half ppr which is going to be more favorable for the star running backs and so you also have this dynamic where hyper fragile approach that mike beer is a a former member of our, our management team one of my favorite people in the fantasy industry someone who has done so much in terms of the framework of the best ball tools for us so people go to the site they play with the best ball tools they win their leagues it's mike that we have to be thankful for There also someone very good in his own best ball leagues and good with the strategy and tactics of best ball one of the things that he talked about a lot you know long before it became popular as it is now is the sort of hyper fragile approach where we're going with a very limited number of running backs but we're hitting those top guys very early that approach is actually still pretty difficult to execute in some of the other formats but in underdog there are definitely scenarios where that would be the dominant approach and so as i've been going on different shows in the first three four months of the year one thing that i've mentioned is that my preferred approach to most seasons and we have to look at each season a little bit differently because you're going to get different adp and you're going to have different player targets i do believe in drafting the guys you think are going to have league winning seasons as opposed to spreading it across everyone and just focusing on structure because you're going to have these guys that you like as league winners in different spots some years are going to be a little bit more favorable for one approach than the other or you're just going to have a little bit different spread of the tactics that you like to apply but i've said that i would like to go about you know 55 60 zero running back 25 30 anchor running back and then 10 15 20 percent hyper fragile depending on the environment that i'm given in different drafts and one of the things that i think has been interesting early in underdogs i think actually it's giving you the chance if you get an early pick to start with a hyper fragile approach I did that in our staff league and then Connor and I also did that in our start. Now, Colin, just to give a little bit more of the sort of foundation here, we started in the one Oh two. We had Christian McCaffrey. It comes back around Deandre Swift goes a couple spots below ADP. We'd also talked about drafting Nick Chubb there because again, it Chubb is somebody I've basically had zero exposure to ever, except for as a rookie when he was undervalued and yet in half ppr especially when he falls and he's being drafted more as though it were a full ppr type of scoring system then i think you have to look at him but swift fell we take swift come back around barkley is still there take barkley that's actually maybe my very favorite three-player start in all of fantasy if you can do it out of the 101 and get jonathan taylor or if taylor falls to the 102 that's probably even slightly better I love that start, but one of the reasons why I love that start in underdog is that you're actually getting different ADP there where in most cases you don't have a situation like we're seeing in the FFPC. You can pull up the FFPC ADP on the site. You can look at the time frames that you want, which is very helpful to know how people are actually drafting in the last couple of weeks, which are most relevant to you or even the last week in FFPC. Right, We have Debo going at the 208-ish range, and then we have these four running backs come off the board, and Leonard Fournette, Nick Chubb, Aaron Jones, and Saquon Barkley. You rock back around, and there's Darren Waller, Tyreek Hill, and George Kittle. So number one, you're looking at some very interesting tight end plays to get your elite tight end. And then based on current underdog ADP, you're going to occasionally have a chance at Tyreek Hill or Mike Evans when you get back to the 2-3 turn. And right now, A.J. Brown is there a lot. He wasn't there in our draft. I don't necessarily expect him to be there as ADP evolves throughout the course of the offseason. But the main thing that we're noting here is there are going to be a lot more situations in underdog where once you get back and you started with Jonathan Taylor, you started with Christian McCaffrey, that you won't be able to add the true top wide receivers to that build like you can in the FFPC. And in those cases, we're going to want to look at opportunities or possibilities for starting hyper-fragile, for starting with the three running backs. And again, it's because of the way these drafts are developing and the opportunities that we have or don't have. In underdog, we're getting a different dynamic than what we see in the FFPC.
1: Yeah, I think starting off, you know, if you are going to do it, starting off with those guys with the profiles that we do talk about. You know, you have McCaffrey in there, you have Swift in there, and you have Barkley, and they all should catch passes this year again like they have in the past. Hopefully Christian McCaffrey can stay healthy. But Swift was on a real tear last year prior to his injury. Barkley unfortunately, over the last two seasons has missed a lot of time with injuries. But when you look through it and the approach you've taken, I think based on the players you have taken, that has worked out very well. There's a lot of running backs going in those first three rounds that we will see throughout these approaches slotted in there. And I think we'll have a lot of concerns about how those rosters have been developed. But I think the way you have done it here, Is is really strong. The team out of the 101 has gone kind of more with a a modified zero or b approach to three rounds, like we would often do, but it's Taylor, Mike Evans, and T. Higgins. So we would like that. Then they go back to Brees Hall. Um, so I think there's some contrast between what you have done from the two spot and what they've done from the one spot. My question for you on this draft, based on how you've started it out there. And then went to Patrick Mahomes. You've come back then to Mike Williams, Traylon Burks, Devonte Smith, and Gard Wilson. So some, you know Mike Williams obviously been a veteran, but then you have the two rookies and the the second year player in there. What are some of your thoughts on starting off with the three running backs and then having to circle back in the fifth round to, to start stacking up those wide receivers versus where we would normally be? getting those wide receivers through the first three rounds. Are, are you seeing it difficult then to assemble that core? I, I think you've done a pretty nice job there with the the younger guys that you've picked up.
2: I don't think that it ends up being that hard. One of the things that we've talked a lot about, and I was talking with Zach about a little bit, as we were trying to execute our zero RB approach out of the 12 spot in our FFPC draft it's just that this sort of three through six range wide receiver is a little bit softer than it's traditionally been, which creates some problems, right? Because that's your running back dead zone. And that's where you're wanting to load up on those wide receivers. If you go anchor running back, or if you do something that was very effective last year, specifically because round two was anomalously successful with the running backs so it makes it look and you pull up our underdog tools for example and it seems like starting running back running back is the clear-cut way to go but that was because round two was so dominant for running backs last season one of the things that you can do is kind of fun is you can pull up some of these approaches in the underdog tools and then say the fanball tools which even if you're not playing in that format it gives you a feel because there are a lot of similarities. I'm not saying they're exactly the same, but there are similarities. So you want to know how running back, running back worked in fanball in 2021. You pull that up and see it was very successful. And then you look at the previous years and you're like, oh, it wasn't successful at all. Well, that's going to raise some red flags for you in underdog as well, right? But you look through this, and in this format, because of the way that players and positions have to go on the board to balance out that. Beginning, I think you're given some opportunities. And one of the reasons that I do like Hyper Fragile is that it gives you a chance to do something a little bit different if you spend most of your time drafting zero running back and allows you to t- attack some of these wide receivers that you might not otherwise attack. And I think that there are some good values deep into these drafts. In many ways, this early round wide receiver area, once you finish with AJ Brown. So I mentioned you're not necessarily getting those same opportunities in underdog. In our draft, you're seeing Lamb and Debo go off early in the second. Then you have Hill and A.J. Brown go off still well before this 101-102 area. You had mentioned Mike Evans and T. Higgins being the, the picks on the turn. I, I like that start as well. Higgins and Evans are really the last two guys before I think you get a huge tier break down to Keenan Allen, Jalen Wild, DK Metcalf, Deontay Johnson, those guys there. So if it comes back to you early in the draft and you've taken Taylor or you've taken McCaffrey and you could take those two guys, What the drafter did out of the 101 is absolutely fantastic. I mean, the Taylor Evans-Higgins start, I mean, you're already feeling like, okay, well, I've got a good shot at winning this thing. Then he goes with Brees Hall later. I'm not on Amari Cooper, but then has TJ Hawkinson. So there are a lot of guys in that start that we like. The thing that happened for us that was interesting, we got back in the fourth round and we didn't necessarily like any of the wide receivers again for this Reason we were talking about this dynamic of it's just so soft in that range, and Patrick Mahomes had fallen to that point. Now, we know that traditionally reaching on even the top quarterbacks in this range is you know a losing move, but Mahomes being enough below his ADP is going to create a unique lineup for us. And we felt like the difference between the wide receiver we would select in the fourth round and the wide receiver we'd select in the sixth and seventh round, where otherwise we're going to be going. To a QB is pretty minimal, whereas the difference between Mahomes and the quarterback there could be significant. So we do take Mahomes. And then, as you mentioned, I really like this group. We had a long discussion about whether we wanted to go with Mike Williams or Cortland Sutton. I think that those two guys are coin flips. I think, in a lot of ways, Williams is already set to be the player that we're hoping for Cortland Sutton to be. And yet, obviously, if, if things end up going. South for Jerry Judy, then you're looking at potentially a, a huge workload, a huge target share for Sutton in an offense that even without Judy should be very explosive. And so you like that potential pick as well. Then we come back with Traylon Burks, Devonte Smith, Garrett Wilson. I think the Burks and Wilson are still undervalued. We paid a decent amount for them, but Burks is going to be the guy. You know they're in any given year, you don't, even though it's happened two years in a row, I mean, we're not expecting there to be a Justin Jefferson. We're not expecting there to be a Jamar Chase, but Traylon Burks could be your Jalen Waddle type of player, right? And that would be still be very valuable at this spot. Devontae Smith is being you know, discounted because of the run-pass split there in Philadelphia, and now because they've added A.J. Brown, but there's not I mean, there's a possible scenario where Smith is actually very even. You think back to his final season, and really his final two seasons at Alabama, where he was better than the other Alabama guys, and then his final season where he wins the Heisman Trophy, then he comes in and plays in this Philadelphia offense that was not favorable to receivers and had a very, very good year. The context is giving you kind of crazy prices on him. We talk all the time about how it's harder to execute so many things in drafts now that three years ago were easy. You know, people understand structural drafting better. They understand the value of wide receivers better. They understand the jumps that young players are making better. And so you actually have to look for situations where there might be environmental reasons that people are now discounting the second year leap. I think that Smith, while the concerns are valid, when you're talking about different scenarios that could play out and players who would still have plenty of run from their draft spot, if you're right, or if that scenario plays out, and then within the context of a tournament, I really like that play. And then Garrett Wilson, another player where, because it's the Jets, he's less expensive than he would otherwise be. He goes behind Sky Moore in this draft. He goes behind Tyler Lockett, who, yeah, I mean, is an established player, but it's going to be in a worse offense than what the Jets have. Behind Adam Thielen, who could be someone who fades out of the Vikings offense a little bit this year, definitely has to keep scoring touchdowns, it would seem to be that relevant. You know, behind Amon Ross St. Brown, who is hit by perhaps the best wide receiver in the draft, and that was a very crowded Detroit landscape you know, behind Brandon Ayuk, you know, a guy that we like, and, and Zach and I actually just drafted him for our league, but there are a lot of guys here behind Christian Kirk, right, who may be the number one for Jacksonville, but the number one, like those New England Patriot receivers were the number one last year in New England, where you're like, I mean, that obviously is irrelevant, so I, I like the players we were put together here, and one of the things that I do think is available to you if you want to start hyper-fragile is that with the right type of discipline, you will be able to load up with wide receivers that you like. And I think the key then is to not look at your running back start and think, okay, I need to have wide receivers that are going to score some points, wide receivers that are safe. You've got to look at it from the other direction. You need to take shots every time. That doesn't mean take wild shots, but we want players with wide ranges of outcome, not Guys who have high floors, because that once you put them together with a lot of them, and Blair had a very good article recently on tight ends in underdog, and then within that, he talks a little bit about you know whether you have a 2772 or a 2 24102 approach based on essentially whether you're using anything else, or whether you're using hyper fragile, And again, the point here is that once you've selected those early running backs, you need to be disciplined. But if you are, your team ends up being very fun in the end.
1: Yeah, and I think it's the, you mentioned the discipline. So you have taken those three guys through the opening three rounds. You have 10 rounds of this draft done. There has been no running backs since for your team. Um, I think what you mentioned there with the, the wide receivers is very valid. Devontae Smith, for me, is very interesting. I do think he's been discounted also based on A.J. Brown being there and the run-pass split from last year. But when we look at the way this draft played out, you know he's going behind Branton Cooks, he's going behind Darnell Mooney, uh, going behind Michael Thomas, Rashad Bateman, Alan Robinson, Gabriel Davis. I, I think that he's probably closer to the top of that tier than the the bottom of that tier. And just looking through this draft and the ADP, what stands out for me, you mentioned the tier break at T. Higgins. With you drafting Mike Williams, I think there's kind of another tier break there as the players that, that are going after that point but very interesting to see you set up the uh you know heavy running back start here but I, I do think it's interesting as well you mentioned you took Patrick Mahomes in the the fourth round I think Brees Hall may have been able to slide in there if we had had some receivers in those first three rounds but again sticking to the structure looking forward to seeing how this plays out to recap the draft so far to this point in round 10 we have Christian McCaffrey. DeAndre Swift, Saquon Barkley, Patrick Mahomes, Mike Williams, Traylon Burks, Devontae Smith, Garrett Wilson, and then you have added in Trey Lance and Albert Okubunum there in the 10th round. So that is the
0: underdog draft you've done, Sean. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed.
1: to jump in and have a little bit of a look now at the FFPC draft and you'll be able to see the contrast and, and the comparisons between those so this one is from the 12th slot so picking at the start of the round versus the back of the round and I do think once you go past specifically spot three but most of the time for me after spot two you're moving into a wide receiver or tight end approach specifically over at the FFPC and round one from the 112 Sean you have gone with Devonte Adams and then we have Moved in to Stefan Diggs with the 201. So that's a, a pretty nice start there. Adam's going off the board as the wide receiver four in this format. For you, is the first question, is he clearly the wide receiver four? And then you have Stefan Diggs as the wide receiver five, obviously going back to back picks. Debo Samuel went one pick after that. In this draft, the interesting thing is three tight ends did go off the board in round one with Kelsey Andrews and Kyle Pitts. Pitts being the last of those at the 111 so that did push Adams down a little bit in this draft but if you were at let's say the the 111 would Adams be the clear pick for you there over Diggs um, for a wide receiver in that spot
2: I think the, with Adams Diggs Samuel and Lamb you've got a pretty tight tier there after obviously the top tier where you have Chase Cup and Jefferson you look at the way it plays out in this draft and kind of going to back to my comments about the differences I mean, the 102 selects Christian McCaffrey, and then Tyreek Hill comes all the way back to him. And then as you slide back through in round three, he actually has the choice of Mike Evans or A.J. Brown and takes Evans. I would go A.J. Brown there, even though we would expect Tampa Bay to be much more pass-heavy and with Chris Godwin likely to not be a big factor early on in the season, Mike Evans could be looking at one of his larger target shares of his career, even as, you know, he gets into the home stretch of it. So I can understand that. I think that once you get to the back half of the season, you might prefer to have AJ Brown there, but think about the fact that you can start Christian McCaffrey, Tyreek kill AJ Brown. I mean, that's, that's kind of crazy. Right. And so you're not going to use a hyper fragile approach in that context. If you look at the, what the one-on-one did with Jonathan Taylor, Leonard Fournette, James Conner, it's not that that couldn't work out. I mean, one of the things that we always want to note when we criticize a start or a construction is that in any given year, in any given draft, the draft that you don't like could still win. I mean, those players could still hit. Leonard Fournette and James Conner scored a ton of points last season, and so you know it's a possibility that that works. I think that's a much weaker start than McCaffrey Hill. And either Evans or Brown. And so be looking at trying to play this much more anchorish. If you're talking about an early pick, the thing that's surprising to me here is the CD Lamb makes it to the 109. And that just seems yeah. pretty egregious, right? I mean, you're talking about a Jamar Chase CD Lamb start, and then <laughs> Saquon Barkley comes back through in round three. That's that's just not the way that it should work, right? If you're gonna take running backs, take Saquon Barkley, take the guy with some ceiling, it it's <laughs> It's a little bit mind boggling to me that he is still there now. I mean, if you told me at the end of the year that he had a season similar to the one we just had, and then all the people who are fading him were right, I would say, again, that's not that unlikely, but the flip side of that is that if you said, you know, he outscored Dalvin cook and Austin Eckler, who were the third and fourth running backs off the board, just overall, that also wouldn't be surprising. So I think that you you have to get some exposure and, The second round here, I think, is pretty rough for the running back drafters, where you have Alvin Kamara, who we're not really sure what the legal situation is, Najee Harris, who I actually think that he is the one guy within this offense who could suffer from the rookie quarterback. Obviously, he could take a step forward in his own play, in which case, you know, he probably scores a lot of points. That's a pretty solid second-round pick. But then Joe Mixon, Javante Williams back in the committee, DeAndre Swift with it being Detroit, Nick Chubb, you know, not a good – Full PPR selection. And then Fournette and Connor. And one of the things about chasing guys who were zero running back superstars the previous year, I mean, both of those guys have seasons beyond just 2021 where they were big time running backs. So I think from that perspective, it makes a little bit more sense. But we want to be careful essentially chasing last year's points. And so this is one where I'm I'm very excited to have had a zero RB start. You mentioned Adams and Diggs. Those are the guys that Zach was on. I think those are the right guys to be on. Debo is a good bet on his massive talent. He's still going to have a very healthy workload. If the split goes back a little bit more to receiving, I think that will be beneficial, but there are risks there. Now you say there are risks with Devonte Adams as well, moving to Derek Carr. It will be a downgrade, but Derek Carr better than people realize, I think. You know, you have, like we have with several QB uh, wide receiver combinations at this point, you have that friendship and maybe a little bit more rapport there than a wide receiver changing teams in a different environment. I think the Raiders are going to go out and score a ton of points. They're going to need to, right? I mean, they have this schedule in the AFC West where, you know, they're they're going to be the, the pick for last place. And are they a last place team? I mean, they're a well above average NFL team. And so you're going through the, the AFC West. just on a, a little side note as a Chiefs fan. I was going through the Chiefs schedule, and that's basically a playoff game every week, right? So you're going to need to be good if you want to come out of this mix. And as opposed to acting like, oh, what was me? And, you know, not being competitive, as we saw from, from like the, the ASC East during, you know, essentially Tom Brady's entire reign. Every team in this division is going after it with incredible intensity it's going to be one of the best storylines to follow not only this year but i think for multiple years as we look forward to the nfl but i'm excited about adams i'm excited about Diggs. we've talked about some of the potential red flags for him as well but when you're talking about the 112 the 201 Either of those guys could bounce back and finish as the overall wide receiver one. I say bounce back for Adams. He had a huge season last year. He just was obviously a little bit overshadowed by what we saw from these three guys who were being drafted early. So I like that start. I think that there are some other starts here with the Jamar Chase, Ceedee Lamb and with the Christian McCaffrey Tyree kill that you have to like even better. But given the players that we had a shot to draft when we were on the clock, I like this start and I like where it went from there.
1: Yeah, that's what I was going to say. The the other teams, I think the starts, maybe, I I honestly, Stefan Diggs and Devontae Adams, I I think I'll take that every draft if I can get it. But the other teams started off in various ways that looked very attractive as well. But the way that this has continued with Deontay Johnson in the third, it's not a Sean Siegel draft if TJ Hawkinson isn't in the the queue and and trying to get on the roster, uh, getting him at the 401. Then we have Lamar Jackson, who I For me, you have drafted my two favorite quarterbacks that I've been targeting so far this offseason, Lamar Jackson in the fifth, and then Jalen Hurts in the eighth. And I just think the upside of both of those guys is is so high. Kenneth Walker is slotted in there in the sixth round at the uh, 601, and then we have Brandon Ayuk um, fitted in there in the seventh round. The one question I have for you there, I I really like how things are playing out. Uh, My question is we talked in the underdog draft about the tear break at t higgins t higgins went one pick ahead of you in the uh, third round at the 311 you took deontay johnson at the 412 you mentioned that tear break um what was there any other players in the mix there another player that went after you took tj hawkinson was jk dobbins who i know that you like about this, this uh this season so how did you feel about that deontay johnson pick
2: yeah, to have T. Higgins go 311 was pretty devastating. I mean, you're sitting there and you're like, there's no way he's going to make it one more slot because he shouldn't have made it through the last five picks, <laughs> right? And so you're not expecting it, but when he gets one, one pick away there, you are a little bit disappointed. It is a tier break. The two guys we were looking at were Deontay Johnson and Jalen Waddell. I think both of those players are undervalued, at the very least undervalued, related to the running backs in that range. And I think they should both be going ahead of Keenan Allen as well. We've talked a little bit about... Him being very subtly on the downhill slope. Ben had some good notes about him on a recent episode of Stealing Bananas as well. Not drawing the targets in quite the same way. Deontay Johnson has been an absolute target hog within the context of the the quarterback play. In pittsburgh the last two years i mean you you know as a fan you know as somebody who's watched the games you know as you've rooted for some of these pittsburgh wide receivers that it's been bad you go in and you look at the advanced stats and i mean it's even much worse than you realize right ben roethlis basically playing as one of the two or three worst quarterbacks in the nfl and then when he was injured and the backups were playing you're talking about not competitive backup performances and yet Deontay Johnson is hanging right in there so we're looking at that we're looking at the the rookie QB one of the things that can happen here is that the offense can be even more centered around the running game and Najee Harris you do have Pat Fryermuth rising you have George Pickens and one of the things that Matthew Friedman said on his appearance just on Thursday was that he does think that George Pickens arrival dings Johnson and Claypool That's very possible. I think that mostly it's going to ding Claypool. I think that if Pickens is really good and it makes the offense run better, and obviously in this situation you're hoping that Kenny Pickett is at least moderately successful as a rookie, then some opportunity for Johnson but Johnson is one of these guys where you're saying it's both a high floor, which is nice in this range, but then just an incredibly high ceiling because anything that goes better for this Pittsburgh offense, and I think people are going to be stunned by just what the volume is actually like for Deontay Johnson. And you have one of these guys who can go out there and have 10, 11, 12 catch games. You don't even have to gain that many yards or score that many touchdowns within that context in order to be a fantasy juggernaut. Now, I probably lean just slightly to Jalen Waddle. He does have... The earlier ADP you know he's getting knocked by Tyreek Hill but you know should he be going a round and a half later or you know two rounds later or are these guys essentially the same player with one of them already being in the offense and having the rapport with Tua and being a guy a little bit like we talked about with Deontay Smith where because of the context you're getting a little bit of a discount here now he's still expensive the players going ahead of him are are all very well established veteran wide receivers that you can count on you know it's not any sort of egregious mispricing but it is something where if you want to get exposure to that Dolphins offense you want to bet on someone with breathtaking speed you want to bet on a breakout whereas I mean Tyreek Hill very very good very good outside of just how good Patrick Mahomes was. But you're talking about a guy who's starting to get a little bit older, is going to be transitioning to a new offense, does rub some people the wrong way. You know, is he going to be a great fit in Miami? I mean, there's a little... And and as a result, you know, he's dropped a full round, essentially, in fantasy. But maybe that's not enough yet. Simply from the perspective of you can get exposure to that in a way that's cheaper, always looking to do that in fantasy. I like both of those guys. We, We didn't take them both because the elite tight end is just the thing that supercharges your win rates. And, you know, we can tend to have maybe a little bit of overconfidence in terms of who that guy is going to be. The reason that you and I and Blair were in that final last season with Connor is because we had Mark Anders and he was the cheapest of the group last year. He was not the most popular one. The Ravens had not thrown to him as much the previous year as people were hoping it had been a run heavy offense. And so you know, he was not the guy out of that group who was expected to be the player who carried all of these best ball teams to glory. And yet it worked out that way because you get the last guy in the tier. TJ Hawkinson, is he likely to go do that? No, I mean, he's not as likely as the guys being drafted ahead of him. And that's why they're being drafted ahead of him. At the same time, you can get Hawkinson after you've gotten some of these other guys. And I do think that there's a big tier break So, Colin, when I'm looking at this both structurally and from a portfolio perspective, I do have some mild concerns about getting too much TJ Hawkinson. And yet at the same time, I know that there can be scenarios that play out as we get a little bit later in the season where suddenly you are not getting the right draft slots where it really makes sense to add him or you're in the right draft slot. And in your particular draft, someone else will reach for him because they have the same thesis on what he will do so you can quickly go through a stretch where you're not getting any hawkinson i want to make sure that i get him at these points that i consider to be a pretty good price and a good fit within what the construction is i do want that elite tight end anytime that i'm doing zero rb i don't want to be out there with just wide receivers and not have that tight end kicker because you're already not going to get the same type of especially early running back play you can't afford to also not get the early tight end play
1: yeah and just to recap for people listening in Started off Devontae Adams, Stefan Diggs, and Deontay Johnson, TJ Hawkinson, Lamar Jackson, Kenneth Walker, Brandon Ayuk, and Jalen Hurts. And we've talked a couple of times on today's show about tear breaks. And I I don't know how people listening in feel. When you get TJ Hawkinson as the last tight end of the group of Kelsey, Andrews, Pitts, Walker, Kettle, and then Hawkinson. So basically tight end six. I think there's a massive gap then to Dalton Schultz, who goes in the, the same round as him, Zach Ertz, who goes a couple of rounds after Dallas Goddard, Dawson Knox. And I've talked in a couple of shows about I like to get the elite tight end and then I like to circle back and you know, kind of the, the ninth, tenth round range and get the second one at, at that point quite often. But um, yeah, I think there's a massive tear break at tight end there as well, just for people listening in. And, Uh, trying to see how we we fit in those tight ends. But that's going to get us towards the end of today's show. We did mention at the start, Sean, is ongoing in both of these drafts. I'm sure, Sean, there's content coming on the website for both of them. There's been stadium and Bananas this week with fantastic rookie conversations. We had Matthew Friedman on earlier this week. And then I mentioned myself and Zach did a couple of best ball shows. I'm going to have Michael Dubner on next week for some best ball content. So we are really ramping it up and a big tease here for the listeners. There may be some zero RB content coming on the podcast next week. So stay tuned for that. Any topics that you want, we're getting some great suggestions coming in via Twitter and via email for topic suggestions for upcoming shows. Keep them coming. We really appreciate the suggestions and the interaction. It's great to continue to, uh, get engaged with the Rotoviz overtime, particularly the community, but the Rotoviz community in general. It's a lot of fun. Um, as we get ready to wrap up, make sure you are checking out the Rotoviz YouTube channel. Uh, lots of great content going up there as well. And there'll be some live drafts, I'm sure, coming up in the coming weeks and months. And the link to that is in today's show notes. As always, you can get yourself a listeners-only 10% discount by adding the code RVRADIO2022 at checkout, or you can go to rotaviz.com forward slash podcast for more information. Quick plug again for the best ball show I did with Zach this week. It is about the underdog best ball tools, which are now up on the website. You get access to those with the subscription, uh, and you can get that at that 10% discount, as I mentioned. Once again, that code is rvradio Twenty Twenty Two. That is going to do it for today's episode of the show. My name is Colin Kelly. You can follow me on Twitter at Overtime Ireland. My co-host is Sean Siegel. Obviously, check out all of Sean's work up on Until we're back next week, have a good one.